you're a female founder of a tech startup, yet you still feel like an outsider? In a world that is run by Silicon Valley, how do we, women entrepreneurs, create the businesses that change the future while overcoming the barriers of the tech industry? This show cuts through it all and is your guide in exploring tech confidently as you become the best founder you can be. I'm Maxine Kramer, founder and CEO of Menenia, where we want you to own technology and change the world. We fast track bold and impactful women into the world of startups by making tech as simple as everyday English. This means no more overwhelming jargon and instead having the tech literacy to funnel your big ambition into a resounding success. This is Cutting Through Tech. Hello and welcome back to Cutting Through Tech. My name is Maxime and today I'm joined by Mara Larson-Richard, who is currently co-CEO at Ada's List and has tremendous experience in setting up businesses, exiting businesses, sitting on boards of businesses, basically tons and tons of knowledge about how to succeed as a woman in business. She has also worked in AI and has interesting viewpoints on ethics, which I'll ask her about. And we also go into how to cultivate a great network. I know Mara has got one of the most extensive networks of anyone that I know, and she has such a wonderful approach to getting to know people. This is how I, you know, I got to talk with her because in every signature of her email, she just includes a link to say, hey, book some time with me. And so I got to chat with her a few months ago and, you know, just thought she'd be such a wonderful guest on this show. So you can learn how she's cultivated her networks and what she believes the key is for women in tech to succeed. So without further ado, here's Mara. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Inviting you was a pretty obvious choice. Uh, We already talked a bit about this. We were laughing earlier. Um, Mara has something to say on everything, but I think everything you have to say on everything is really valuable and really worth hearing. So um, I'm very excited for the conversation we're about to have today. For the listeners who who may not know you, um, could we get a little bit of a background of, you know, what has led you up to your career where you are right now, which is co-CEO of Ada's List? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I am interdisciplinary. I've lived many lives. I started my career by working in politics for Hillary Clinton, which was an honor and a privilege. And she is, she is amazing and I think has shaped um, much of how I've seen the world and seen my career. But I didn't love working in politics, as it turned out. I loved working for Hillary. So I, I left that and moved back to London. And through kind of a winding path, I ended up starting my own company. And I grew that over a couple of years. And I had this moment where I realized, you know, wow, you really found your flow. You love this. And the lesson I took from that was really like, okay, if you love this, I was 24, you need to, you need to leave and you need to go learn like real business. And then ultimately I joined Civitas Learning, which is an AI ed tech company. And I really found my passion for using technology to bring people closer together and build personalized and individual relationships. Um, through that. And so I, I joined Civitas when we were about 20 people. I grew the US company up to about 150 people. And then I moved back to the UK again um, with some brilliant engineers and founded the international company, which is really what ultimately led me 
um, you know, to Ada's list as being a member of that community and, and kind of moving up the ranks in, in a very male dominated AI space. Um, I had a lot of reflections on, on how, um, you know, how I wanted to change, change the sector and, and Ada's list gives me the ability to do that. I want to dive into the AI piece in a second, but I just want to loop back. You mentioned uh, real business. What what did you mean by that? Because I think a lot of people can relate to this feeling of when they're starting their own business that they don't know real business. So can you talk a bit more about that? Absolutely, because I think this is something that's really that that belief is so challenging mm-hmm. and it's fundamentally not true. So when I was twenty four. You know, I, I went to Columbia. I had a lot of friends who were often investment banking and consultancy, and they had, you know, these fancy corporate jobs. And instead of looking at my experience and saying, "Wow, you founded a company when you were not even 24, and you've been growing it," that that is real business experience. I think looking for those brands and those graduate schemes and kind of what recognized success was felt it felt like there were secrets in that business training that I didn't have access to and I needed to in order to be successful. And I think by by going off and doing that in some ways, what I learned is like, actually, like, absolutely, absolutely not. Like, this is not what you need to be successful. You need, um, you need to be innovative. You need to be passionate. You need to be able to, you know, craft and build value. So, so I would love to dispel the myth that you, you know, you need to go after one of those corporate jobs and understand how business works in order to be a good entrepreneur. You absolutely don't. Brilliant. That's, I think, always a good reminder uh, to put out there. And yeah, so you you then ended up in the field of AI, which is naturally a very hot topic at the moment. I mean, not just at the moment, it's been for a while, but it feels still very bleeding edge, I think. And there's so much that goes behind AI. But a big question has also been around ethics as we're starting to see results from from businesses and companies that have used AI to generate, you know, fantastic products, but that are still not fully inclusive, not fully incorporating the whole range of, you know, training sets or data that you might want to leverage. And you you have a background around ethics and AI. Could you talk a bit more about that? Oh man, we could have an entire woman. <laughs> we could have an entire podcast on this on this subject. Um, it's dangerous to get me started on this. There are a lot of challenges, certainly that still exist. I feel more positive about the fact that I do think people are thinking about these challenges. I do think people are working on these challenges. I worry a bit about the scale in terms of who's working on the solutions and who is not <laughs> um, fundamentally. But I think one of the key challenges is like, we really need diverse voices in AI. Like algorithms need to be challenged. Algorithms need to be... They won't be fully understood, which I think is something that people miss out with AI is it's not rules-based logic. So like there are parts that are not entirely always explainable. But I think you need people in the rooms who are not just women, but are of different backgrounds and ethnicities in order to be able to create really good artificial intelligence. And ultimately, we don't just need, I mean, we do need more women in leadership. We do need more women on boards, but we need women in every single one of those rooms leading up to leading up to the boardroom to be able to challenge the decisions that are being made as it goes into the technology that ultimately scales and then is impacting human behavior. That's fundamentally important. Can you think of an example where that has been improved? So like an AI product that perhaps started off 
semi-biased or with certain training sets and actually managed to improve itself over time? Yes. IBM had a visual recognition software that fundamentally did much better on white faces. And the researcher from MIT who discovered that they were doing so much worse on female faces and diverse skin tones, um, she called them out on it. And they fixed their training data and they ultimately got all of them to be, you know, kind of, I think it was above 95%. So like the male one was still the highest, but the difference between, you know, 95% and 97% is a lot less than the difference between like 62% and 95%. Um, So there are ways of fixing this, but you're only going to fix it if you have those people in the room to question it, to test it and to you know, provide and and oversee the solution. But I think that's such a powerful example because it shows that it can be done because I I think there is also sometimes a misconception of it's just the way it is, or we just have more training data of this particular type, or um, quote unquote, there are just more white men in the in the Western world. And really that's that's not a reason, right? And and it can be done. So I think that's what examples like this really show, as in if you pay attention, if you do have people at those levels and that are calling it out, it can absolutely change how these things work. Absolutely. And that's that's an insane challenge to AI for someone to say, like, oh well there's just more there's just more white men around. And so that's why the algorithms work in that way, because part of the power of AI is the fact that it can be personalized, right? Is that we don't have to revert to the average all the time because you're able to use this massive training data and you're able to, even for very small niche populations, you know, over time have collected enough data to be able to, to better understand that specific population. Um, so we should actually be able to be much better about yeah, about personalizing to like really diverse backgrounds through the application of AI. But, you know, you have to see the world in that way in order to make that true. Absolutely. So going back to what you mentioned earlier um, around making sure there's enough diverse voices in every kind of, kind of role and position in the tech industry, we see currently a lot of um, attention being given to more female founders as well as uh, women in STEM. So kind of the, the engineering roles, if you will. However, I also know that you and I have spoken in the past around anyone in tech in any role is hugely valuable and valid. And so I'd love to hear a bit more about your perspective in how, why differentiating, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing around those different roles? How do you see that? I think we need more women across across the board. We definitely need more female founders. Um, although I think we have a lot of female founders, to be perfectly honest, but we just don't have enough female funding. So I think that will, if, if we can bring, bring more female funding um, to the table, I think that will change some of our recognition of female founders. I think it's interesting because oftentimes women who are in tech companies but aren't in engineering or aren't in technical roles don't necessarily think of themselves as women in tech. So when I took the Ada's List job, I had lots of people, you know, in my life who congratulated me and I had conversations with. And oftentimes they'd say, oh, like I looked at Ada's List. It was really, it's really cool. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not a woman in tech. And so I I can't join, but I'll pass it on to other people. And I'd be really surprised by this because oftentimes I ended up 
saying back to them, like, oh, you are a woman in tech. Like you work in HR, but you work for a tech company. And I think so part of this, I think, is definition is like us stepping into our power of saying, like, yes, I work in technology and, and owning that space. You know, and then I think it's about, you know, changing our environments to make sure that that women are able to stay, to stay intact and to to pursue their careers. There's a massive hole that seems to appear, especially in engineering, around three to five years in to to technology roles. Um, and so how do we bridge how do we bridge that gap? And I think that that gap exists across tech companies, but it, it tends to be our, our attention tends to be specifically focused on engineers kind of leaving after that three or four year mark on the engineering side um, for, for various reasons. But when I look at tech companies that, that I've known or been close to, the percentage of women in engineering roles might be particularly low, but the percentage of women in sales roles also is very low in most SaaS companies. So I don't think it's just about being able to be a female engineer or a female STEM graduate, um, but there's very few women who are in those environments as well. More broadly speaking as well, why do you think women find it hard to identify themselves as a woman in tech if they are in those those roles that you mentioned, you know, whether that's a sales role at a at a tech startup or vice versa, you know, in tech for, I don't know, Sainsbury's and so on? I think quite a bit of this has to do with with confidence and I think how we socialize women through time. I do think this is changing quite a bit with our our wonderful female Gen Z friends. But I think fundamentally, you need amplifiers and you need cheerleaders in in your career. You need you know people to, to help you feel like what you're saying is, is true oftentimes. Um, and I'm not saying that men don't necessarily feel that way. But when you're breaking new ground, and you're in you're in, a, you know, a serious minority, sometimes it's harder, I think, to, to claim that mantle, um, it's easier to have that mantle placed on you. So I think that's that's certainly something that you know having people say like no you're a, you're a woman in tech you're part of this you know you're part of the tech sector too um, is is important and you know I think women are often socialized not to not to be as direct not to talk about money um, which makes being a salesperson hard. What is really interesting is when I was at Civitas, the two most successful sales people across the eight years that I was there were both women but they were in the minority of the, the sales team. So I think they are better at selling, but I think it's harder to be in that environment. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that distinction of like the difficulty then is to stand out and have different opinions and to be a trailblazer. You know, looking back at, at how I've handled things, I always felt like I had to morph and blend into my environment. And so as I got older and as I started having more opinions and as I wanted to express them, I noticed how difficult that was because I wasn't used to it and there was a lot of fear around that. So there is something to be said for how do you strike that balance between staying true to yourself as well as quote unquote fitting in whichever way you want to describe that. So Ada's List, tell me a bit more about what um, resources or how, if, if someone's new to Ada's List, how can they leverage and make the most out of being in that community? Because it is such a wonderful community. Fundamentally, I think Ada's List is, is important because of our agenda. So as women sign up to being in the community, you are agreeing to an agenda, which is about moving women in tech forward together. 
And once you once you are in the community, and it's completely free, anyone can anyone can sign up, can meet other women, you can post in the community, you can, you know, ask, ask for help. And it's quite, um, I look at Ada's list, and I think about us as being a connector. So a way to connect women with other women in technology, a way for us to connect, you know, companies um, to women and women to companies to continue to progress their career. And we think about this through kind of three pillars. So we have the pillar of career, the pillar of company, and the and the pillar of of culture. And so everything in career is about how we're helping women individually. How are we helping more women get into technology? How are we helping more women progress in technology? How are we helping more women, um, you know, get succeed in technology in terms of if they want to be in leadership roles or in board seats, you know, all the way through that pipeline. And then when we think about company, we think about how are we helping companies not only to expand, you know, how many women um, are are in their tech company, but how are we thinking about helping them change their culture so that more women are able to, you know, to progress and to stay um, and feel feel a sense of belonging within that culture. And then, you know, separately on the culture pillar, how are we continuing to drive conversation around around women and technology? I love how you also mentioned about connecting because you are a master networker. Um, I haven't known you long, but one thing, for example, that Mara does, I will just explain, is at the bottom of every email, she just has a link that says, book some time with me. Like, just just come and say hi. I just want to talk to you. And I think that's just so amazing, especially in a time and age where everyone's so protective of their time. So what can women do to cultivate better networks? I think cultivating better networks is about putting yourself in that situation consistently. So whether it's joining and being a part of Ada's list, which puts you in a much larger network, whether it's just going to new events, it's meeting new people. But I think going into every situation or every room expecting to learn something and not thinking so much about the outcome and who you want to meet or who you absolutely need to connect with and what they can do for you and what you can do for them, I think is is really important. Because you don't actually know part of what creates a powerful network um, is lots of different people who are connected to other different networks. So you don't actually know who is going to ultimately connect you to the person who gives you your next job or you know you become the co-founder of your company. Like you don't actually know that when you walk in the room. So being curious, listening to people, not making assumptions about you know who who you need to meet or what you need to talk about. And and particularly if you're nervous, I think when you go into a situation, if you're not someone who's who's comfortable or confident talking to new people necessarily, start by talking to the easiest person for you to speak with. And so however you might define that, whether it's someone who you already know to a certain extent, and you can start there, whether it's just another person who's not speaking to anyone in the room. Um, I think that's often the best way of of ultimately building your network is is you know start somewhere and, and take it from there. Say that that people put themselves out there, they start chatting to lots of people, they get to know people. How do you recommend people file all that information? Because uh, I've heard through the grapevine that you you are pro CRM. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Because I I just find that really awesome. I'm a bit of an organizational geek though, so maybe it's just me, but I'm pretty sure it's not. I think it's it's easier to start an organizational system around people before you know thousands of them and you have thousands of business cards 
sitting in a box. Uh, you know, it's really interesting with the technology that's out there now, you know, starting a CRM, which maybe sounds a little ridiculous and putting information into it about who you've met can be really helpful. And I'm kind of in this reverse process where now I'm trying to do this. I'm using HubSpot, um, which is, which is free, depending on how you want to use this. Um, there's lots of tools that are out there, but putting that information into it is a huge pain by comparison to me proactively thinking about this years ago and recognizing that, you know, I've lived all over the world. I've had lots of different careers. I was going to meet lots of different people. Um, and, and whether you stay in touch with them or not, sometimes you just want to remember some information out of a conversation that happened years ago. Um, and it's very hard to organize that information. So, so having it at your fingertips is quite helpful. It probably sounds very, it probably sounds very against my advice of being curious and being natural and going into situations to then say, Oh, except go grab a piece of technology and like really organize all of your data. But, um, but the human mind can only remember so many things. I think that's completely fair though, right? It's, it's that meeting it in the middle. It's where the interactions are, are from a place of curiosity. And, um, like you say, the filing is just for your mind because, you know, there's no point to a wonderful conversation if six months down the line, you're like, I spoke with that wonderful person. They were wearing this t-shirt and it was about this, but I have literally no idea what they were, you know, what their name was anymore. So there's something to be said for still having a backup of something digital and <laughs> structured somewhere there. So we've spoken a lot about women in tech kind of throughout the industry and, and you know, tangential to the industry, um, as well as now networks and also investment, female funding. Uh, we, we've had conversations about this before as well and why that's so low. One of the things that um, I often hear is that how networks still do really help with the uh, difficulty female founders face in getting connected to the right person and, and securing funding. Now, given what you know, what you get up to, what do you see female founders needing more of beyond that? Every woman in tech needs this, but particularly female founders need amplifiers. They need cheerleaders. Being a founder is incredibly hard. Being a female founder is 270 times harder than, than being a male founder in many ways. But I think fundamentally creating that sense of belonging, creating people who are cheering you on um, and, and, you know, creating a network that will hopefully amplify your, your success or your product or your journey as you go is, is not only important right now, but I think is becoming increasingly important the more and more crowded the, all of the tech spaces get, and, you know, how fundamentally how much you need to be able to break through. So as someone who's, who's been there before, what do you have any advice or tips that you would share to female founders who are facing that mountain, who are trying to break through in this section or in this industry or the subcategory of the wider, the wider tech industry? Um, being a female founder is, is incredibly hard. Finding those people who are going to help you, support you emotionally and, um, and from a business perspective is incredibly important. And, and, you know, what I hear from lots of our members is that they found, you know, lots of them found co-founders within the Adislist network, but even if they didn't find a co-founder, they often found advisors. They found, they found cheerleaders and amplifiers along the way. Um, which is which is incredibly important. And I think one of the reasons that is so incredibly important is that it's hard for women to oftentimes take on the the mantle of power 
Um, and so I, when I had my business, I, I didn't think about myself as a founder. I didn't call myself a CEO. Um, that, that didn't feel natural to me. And, and no one around me was necessarily saying that either. But as I've kind of gone through my career, I look back on it. Not only was that absolutely true and absolutely the case, but I see you know, men who start businesses and don't even have a business idea yet, let alone funding, let alone a plan. And they introduce themselves to you at a at a dinner party or something, and they say like, "Oh, I'm a tech founder," and I'm like, "Well, oh, that's so interesting. Like, what did you know? What does your company do?" And they're like, "Well, I'm in the ideation phase, but I left my job, and now I'm a founder, and I'm a CEO. I'm going to be the CEO of this company." And I'm thinking like, you know, it's great that they have that level of confidence, but I don't know any women who would who would feel comfortable saying that. And so I think oftentimes having you know, other people around you who will remind you of your achievement, who will help you to take on some of those, um, not just some of those titles, but, but be comfortable with some of that power is, is incredibly important. As you said earlier, right, being a founder is hard and it is making something out of absolutely nothing. You are generating value out of things that are just your vision, your thoughts, your ideas, and you're putting it out in the world, that is not to be frowned upon. Um, so I, I love that. I love that reminder and that advice and that feeling of um, it, you know, surrounding yourself with great people that cheer you on. Because I think as well, again, women, and I'm generalizing here, but still, you know, we're conditioned to give, not necessarily receive that kind of support. And it can be very much a, a feeling of, oh, I need to do this on my own. And you really don't have to. Um, I need to remind myself of that frequently as well. So so thank you for sharing that. And I think that's, um, I don't know. I hope that brightens someone's day hearing that. I hope so too. It's actually, it's interesting what you say about women being socialized to to give more than receive. Because something that I, you know, am very much in the early ideation stage of around Ada's list is, is looking at how, you know, with the 9,000 women who are in the network, who are often very comfortable putting each other forward for, for different opportunities, whether it's speaking opportunities, um, or, you know, or, or jobs, like how could we, how could we formalize that? How could we scale that? How could we do better about that? Because, you know, we talk to companies every day, and who are looking for for talented women in technology. Um, and I do wonder about the opportunity for us being able to put out, you know, X company is looking for a COO, um, you know, get in touch with us if you're interested, but also if you know um, a talented woman for this job, like don't just forward them the email, like send us their name. And would that, would that help us in terms of changing the number of women who get hired into technology because we were able to get those women's names to the top of the pile. We were able to, you know, put people into, into um, opportunities that maybe they wouldn't necessarily raise their hand for already. Um, and I think there's something interesting to be, to be investigated and to be developed there about using that, that social power that women have to, for giving and for referring and for cheering each other on to progress our agenda overall. I love that, like a collective headhunting tribe. Yeah. <laughs> and there is something as well there around self-selecting and, and saying no too early. Um, I think I've shared the story before 
on the show, but um, the first time I was invited to speak at a conference, it was so random. Someone had um, another woman that I knew well tweeted about um, some achievement and a conference organizer saw that and just emailed me saying, hey, you seem like someone who's got interesting things to say. Do you want to come and speak at this conference? And I was so excited and honored. I was like, yes, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, and then had a complete meltdown after. What am I going to say? Am I, you know, am I quote unquote, you know, experienced enough to even be talking about this? All of these thoughts. And what I noticed in the years after is that a lot of my friends said, you know, oh, I've been asked to speak at this conference, but I said no because, you know, the same thoughts like, do I have enough experience to talk about this and all this kind of stuff? And, you know, it was pure luck that I sometimes am just this kind of curious, headfirst, like stumbling right into it kind of personality where I said yes immediately and only had those thoughts after. Um, How can we get women to say yes more? to these types of opportunities? It's a million dollar question, right? Um, <laughs> you know, we've been trying for years now just to, to change the socialization of women. And I do think that's still important. And I do think that will pay off in the long run from, you know, more sustainably in, in a lot of ways. But can we shortcut some of this by just using the socialization that we have currently, right? And so having women promote each, if they really aren't comfortable saying yes for a conference position or they don't feel like they're ready for a job, um, instead of pushing from the women's side constantly, is there a way mm-hmm. for us to push from the, from, the, from the company side fundamentally? Because I think it'd be really interesting to be able to take a list of names back to a company and say, you know, hey, like we posted your job and, and some people probably have applied directly through that and, you know, here's, here's mm-hmm. who they are and you should look at them. But also it's interesting because here's a list of women who are community referred, who you should look at. And then they can go look at LinkedIn and if there are any of them that they think are interesting, they can, you know, they can reach out. And and I think that often gives you much more confidence, right? If a company is reaching out to you and saying you're ready for a role, you're more likely to apply to it than if if you have to make that decision alone. So I'm, I'm hoping that that can help us in changing some of these behaviors. Well, it's exactly this kind of creative approach and this approach of multiple angles that hopefully is is going to shift things, right? Because it really needs to. And um, I'm so glad that we have wonderful people as yourself dedicating a lot of time and thinking about this. Um, I, I just absolutely love that idea. And you know, it really is a thing because um, I'm fortunate enough to be to be doing a talk at Ada's List conference that's coming up. Um, and we spoke in your magical booking link, um, method. And it was really funny actually, because I, I did exactly that. I referred someone, I was like, listen, I know this person, Katrine Marcel, and she just released this book, mother of invention. It's brilliant. Um, and you should have her on the, on the, um, conference. And what was your response? (laughs) This, this is a, this is such a good example of exactly how referrals can work so well. Um, because you connected me to Katrine. We had an amazing conversation. She is going to be, she is our opening keynote speaker. Um, and I, and I read mother of invention and it is by far the best book that I've read this year. And I am so excited that she will be opening the ADA's the opening keynote for the ADA's list conference this year, because I find that it's so rare that I read a book that actually shifts the way that I think. Um, I, I read lots of books that I think, you know, expand the way that I think, 
provide me with more information on a topic I'm interested in, but to fundamentally help me see the world in a new way is, is very rare. And Katrine's book really does do that. Um, it, it brings this entirely new idea, or for me, it brought this entirely new perspective and this new idea around how gender had shaped innovation um, through kind of these, these social norms. And I think that's, I think it was, it's phenomenal to read, not only historically, how that's been true from suitcases and electric vehicles, um, you know, all the way through to, to how gender is, is shaping the actual creation of AI, um, which I think is, was one of the most interesting, what was one of the most interesting chapters. I definitely hope I, you know, I've been talking about this book to, to my friends, um, endlessly, but I, I do think everyone should, should read it and be able to experience kind of that shift, that cultural shift in perception. And, and hopefully more people will come to the Ada's List conference and hear not only Katrine, but hear your talk as well. Thanks. Yeah. Katrine as well, like the way she writes, she's such a captivating writer. At least I find that. Have you, are you on her newsletter? I just joined her newsletter because I just found it on LinkedIn, but I completely agree her. She is such a captivating writer and for writing about such a serious like topic and a serious, like she could have written this book in a very academic way um, because it's incredibly well-researched, but her writing is, Mm. is very captivating and conversational and, and quite funny. Like I found, I found, I sped through this book because I was just so fascinated and I wanted to see you know, where, where it went. Well, if you meet her as well, she just has really funny humor. Um, and uh, for, for you listening, we will have Katrina on the show as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But if you want to hear it first, get the book and go see her at Ada's List. Speaking of which, um, where can people learn more about you, about Ada's List, about this conference? Um, yeah, tell us more. So you can learn more about Ada's List by going to our website, which is www.adaslist.co um, rather than .com or .co.uk. Um, and there's you know a link to join the community. The community is free. Um, to join and and will stay free. There's a whole philosophy behind that. And you can also learn more about the conference and buy buy a conference ticket um, and and also learn more about me and and Kalila. Obviously we're on we're on the website as well and we're continuing or we're starting to publish more blog pieces around around our thoughts. So we'd be you know very welcome to have your listeners um, join us. Um, as you know, all the links will be in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, it's been, I feel like we've learned so many things about the way you do life, work, business, all of it together, um, which is just, if I had one word for it, is awesome. But if you had to pick three skills, right? We ask everyone on the show this. If you had to pick three skills that without which you wouldn't be where you are today, these could have been ones that you've developed or that you've always kind of had, what would they be? It's such a good question. For sure, the top one is kindness. I don't think there's enough celebration of kindness in the world. And, and I think that's been really fundamental to my success. Um, adaptability would have to probably be the second one. And a sense of humor. Nothing, a bit of kindness, humor, and just shifting your perspective, you know, can't fix. I think that's such a 
well-rounded like it's not specific to any job any interaction any industry it's just a set of tools that I think makes you able to handle anything as you've done which is very very cool thank you for sharing so there you have it that was Mara Larson Richard Um, as I mentioned all links will be in the show notes attached And I have a feeling we need to get her back on the show also as part of the investment impact series because we haven't even scratched the surface of female funding and there is a lot to explore there. For now, thank you so much for your time and coming onto the show, Mara. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for that conversation, Mara. I think there were some great gems in there from, you know, your own networking CRM to being a cheerleader, right? And how we can go about cultivating networks and being there for each other as well as ourselves. Can you think of three people you would like to lift up today, perhaps by sending a little message or sharing something about them on social to give the gift of being a cheerleader to someone else? Now, if you want to learn more about Mara and Ada's List Conference, all the links will be in the show notes. As she mentioned, I'm also speaking at Ada's List um, and my talk is all about the identity of tech and how I, as a you know woman in tech, I've been doing techie things since I was a young kid and studied computer science and kind of took a fairly, I suppose, you know, standard trajectory, I would say. But Even so, I still don't always identify with being a woman in tech and I, you know, I don't believe there is a standard trajectory into tech. So if you'd like to hear more about that, or if you'd like to hear from Katrine Marcel, who's brilliant, get some tickets for Ada's list. Again, links will be in the show notes. As for now, if you've enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review. It does really, really help us out. And I will see you later this week with another Investment Impact Series episode. For now, have a fabulous day and chat soon.